Well, Steve, appreciate you joining me. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you. You're welcome. Happy to be here. So, Steve, what's the role of a technical director? Like, what is, What is your role? You know, what's what's your job, and you know, what are you trying to get out of the players that come through the club? I think there's many hats I have to wear. If I had to sum it up, it would be to listen, observe, and facilitate. Something we're doing on Saturday for our presentation is about club, coach, and player development. And I always think of the technical director's role is putting together the content, understanding the context of what it's going to be used, and then making sure everybody understands the concept of the Three C's content. Can you talk a little bit more? Like, so how, how do you go about now in your club? What do you do in terms of developing that content? What's that process like? How long does it take? And is it? I'm, I'm assuming it's something that you're always developing, kind of a, as the time goes. Yeah, I, I've been with the job now for two years at FSAFC, and I spent the first six months observing yeah. coach behaviors, player behaviors, how the club operates, club policies, procedures. Um, I was asked to put together a comprehensive curriculum. Spent that six months just observing player behaviors, coach behaviors, and what was needed really. Who was in front of them, what was the level of the coach, what was the level of the player, what does their potential look like, are they willing to reach their potential, will they work with me. We also have to understand that within that context, is we have full-time coaches, we have part-time coaches. Right. What can the part-time coach do, what can the full-time coach do? Obviously a full-time coach is going to have a little bit more accountability about Time. Sure. The part-time coach is somebody that we're going to have to work with and navigate around their full-time job. Right. During that observation period, if you will, in that six months, what were some of the, the challenges? And I'm sure the challenges that you like, <laughs> you're laughing now, but but I'm sure these challenges every club across the U.S. is facing. So you can speak in generalities as well. Like, what are some of the challenges, for, either from a player behavior, coach behavior standpoint, and you know, what, what do you think clubs are missing across the U.S.? I, I don't want to speak too generally and say clubs across the U.S. are missing it because you know, just being here for a day and a half, spoken to and seen a lot of coaches and clubs are doing great things. In terms of FSA, I, I don't think there was anything missing. I just think it was in places it should have been. So okay. piecing it together, yeah. understanding what the picture on the box looked like, sure. so, so to speak, uh, and then putting the pieces together. Trying to get buy-in from the coaches to understand that it's not a bad thing when somebody's brought in to challenge right. them to be better um, and to work with me and understand that my job is to make them better. Did you get a lot of pushback at first from the coaches? Uh, I didn't. No. I didn't. I expected a little bit of pushback because yeah. it's a very established club with a lot of coaches that have been there for a very long time. Right. Uh, the coaching staff were very welcoming. Okay. DOC is very welcoming. Yeah. Club president is very welcoming. It was a a different environment to what I was used to with the previous roles I had with clubs. But I found myself in a position where I felt supported, which for every technical lead, that's the main thing. Right. That support behind you. You can look forward and always looking back to see who's behind it. Yeah. What do you think the the future of U.S. club soccer looks like? What do, what do, what do, where do you even hope it, it's going? Because obviously, you know, I, this is a very opinionated question too. But I'm very curious to 
to hear the opinion, like, you know, what what do you think U.S. soccer on the youth level needs? And it's is it something that you guys are doing at, at your club right now? Like, let me yeah. rephrase this. What are you most proud of that, that you guys do? I think we focus a lot on the cognitive players, mm-hmm. allowing them to have a voice and allowing them to have a choice, asking players for feedback. What did you like? What did you not like? What would you change? What would you like to see done differently? How does this influence you? By giving them that voice, they can get more open to share with us. They trust us. Yeah. Especially when you implement something that they've talked about in the next training session, or you refer to it in the next training session and you give them credit for it. Mm. It's building that trust. And, and that's something I've been pretty solid about. And I've noticed that there's been a huge difference yeah. in the players' trust in the coaches because their voice is not being there. Right. Is that something that, because you also coach a couple of teams as well, I right? Do. So is that, is that something that you take pride in, is you know, oh, really listening to, yeah. to what they say? And 30 seconds with every player when they show up to practice. How you doing? How was your day? Yeah. Uh, it helps me better understand the mood they're in, which then better helps me understand how I'm going to teach them in the training session. Yeah. What works for them at that moment. If a kid shows up and they're a little upset and they seem a little down, I want to try to get to the bottom of it without digging too deep. Right. The, player that just came in before them was, you know, fist bumping me and saying, I've had a great day. Yeah, yeah. I then try to pair them and try to sort of get them together mm. for that first five minutes, like the first five, ten minutes where it's free time. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully that kid who's having that great day can shine a little bit brighter. Right. And then put some of that light on the player that's having a negative day. And it, it works. Yeah. Because you're starting to understand the temperament. If you keep a track of that as well, which I do, you tend to find that there are certain days and times that these players are feeling that way. Right. Um, and then you can either speak to the parents about that or find out about the schedule. Why is it on this Tuesday at 5 p.m.? Yeah. What did they just come from? Right. Who brought them there? The car ride there? So there's a lot that goes into it, huh? Yeah. And then you, you factor in that some kids come from broken homes. Right. And you don't know what's just happened. Who brought them to practice or not. Uh, and I've often found that listening is the best thing we can have as coaches. Yeah. Do you think being in the technical director role over the past about two years? Two years with FSC. Has it made you a better coach? Or is it just like evolving with the times and you know that continuous path of learning? I feel listening to the players makes me a better coach. Yeah. Because they're who I serve. Right. And if a player comes to me and didn't like practice, I want to know why. If they can convey to me in a, in a good way why they didn't like that, right. then I'm going to be willing to change. And, and I think that's ultimately what the coaches have to do. We have to be able to adapt on the fly, that's coaching, right. but we also have to be able to adapt to the needs of the players that we work with. Like, we can't do yeah. that, we become stagnant. Right. So let's go back now, Steve. Let's take it, let's take it, take it back to a young Steve. What, where, where'd you start coaching? What was your first coaching job? First coaching job? Uh, that was back in England when I was 16 years of age. So you started coaching that young? I did. I took my first license at 16. 16, wow. Yeah. Were, you, were you playing then too? I was playing, but not at the level I was hoping to. Yeah. I was still I'm 5 foot 6, I was 5 foot 6 <laughs> when I was 12. Um, so I was on the youth books of a couple of pro clubs. But obviously, back then, the profiling was yeah. you don't fit the size, so therefore you don't fit the body. Right. So I, I ended up going and playing at an amateur level. Did very well, enjoyed it, and I actually came to the US and signed with New York FIFA and USISL. Okay. And back in 94. And like many of us, suffered a very uh, injury. Yeah. My knee. And mine wasn't through playing, mine was through day camp. 
day camp. Yes, I was running a day camp for the New York Fever, and at the end of the day, I was refereeing the game. Yeah. A young girl ran in front of me as I was sprinting. and moved to get out of the way, and my leg went into a divot. Did you give her a red card after that? I was on the ground howling. And didn't have a cell phone in 94. Yeah. Uh, and I was at school that was very big, so I had to get two kids to run all the way over to the football. Right. Guy, and he had to run half a mile back to find out what was wrong with me to run half a mile back to the building to call the EMS. So it was, uh, you know, welcome to the US. Yeah. Jeez, what a welcome that is, huh? So, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world because it really got me head on Coaching. Yeah. And just being able to influence coaches and players. Mm. So you so you knew from a young age you always wanted to be a coach then, huh? First license at sixteen and then coming here and in the States, I mean how have you what was like your first other than tearing your ACL refereeing game, but what was your first almost welcome to coaching moment, if you were, where you're like, I I get this now, I understand what I'm doing. You know, can you can you remember a time where you're just like, it's starting to click a little bit for you? It, it was more of a situation that occurred when I was with one of the youth academies. Mm -hmm. And the academy coach, it was more about what he didn't do that made mm -hmm. me realize I wanted to do what he said. Right. And just the way he treated players, uh, the way he spoke to players, uh, dehumanized us. And, and I didn't want to be part of that. I didn't want to be part of a system that promoted that, that supported that. Yeah. And sometimes turn the blind eye to it. So I knew at that point I wanted to be a coach that did everything that he did. Uh, and, and I didn't really know what that was right. in town, but I did know that it meant that I wouldn't be mean to people. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, it, it, it's funny to have those coaches because at the time I'm sure you're like, can't stand this guy, but you, you know, it becomes you're almost thankful for them because you can say, oh, this is what not to do and I remember how much I hated that and now you can change it. You know, we learn from our do's and we learn from our don'ts. Right, right. And I think that's that's what ultimately what's helped me get to where I'm at is that I've made a lot of mistakes along the way but I've been willing to hold my hand up to those mistakes. Yeah. Uh, learn from them, reflect on them and change the way I do things. If we're talking to young coaches, coaches are starting maybe in their teens or 20s, what would you say what would be the advice you wanted to give them? And even, I guess, new coaches for that, that you bring on your club, you know, what, what are a couple of the, the first couple of things that you, you tell them to... I always say the same thing, listen. Listen. Listen to your players. Yeah. Because they're the ones that you're trying to make feel good, they're the ones you're trying to teach. Mm -hmm. And it's just the same as a teacher. A teacher's going to listen to their students, and they're going to check for understanding. And if you're not checking for understanding, you're not listening. You're, yeah. You're really not understanding if your message is being delivered. You'll get a lot of new coaches come in with their own ideas, which is great. For me, it's about supporting their ideas as well, mm -hmm. seeing how they fit with our club philosophy and shaping them to better understand and identify the reason. Yeah, because that's the key. It's, you know, right. got to be a reason. Why so it's, it's understanding that there are moments. Morgan Church is part of our presentation. We said we talked about understanding their why and then connecting their why. Yeah, no, it's um, it's refreshing to hear because I think a lot of coaches like to push their agenda, push their agenda first, right? And it's you know, at least for me, it's I always say it's you know when when I talk to my goalkeepers because that's typically I work with them, like, I, it's not about me, like I, I, I can 
you know, I have my ideas of what I want to do, but this is, this is going to be about you, right? It's, you know, it's about what, what you want and where you want to go, and let me, let me help you do that. Yeah, it's important that coaches understand every decision they make. Ultimately, it may influence their coaches. Sure. But if you're looking in the right direction for them to the players, then that decision will come back to you. And upon your reflection, you'll realize that that was actually a pretty good thing. Yeah. Or maybe it wasn't a good thing. How do I change it? And one of the things I do is I ask my players for feedback. Right. My players are part of my journey. Yeah. They're part of my journey. When I speak to players at the end of the practice, I say, you know, what did you like? Share with me what you like. Yeah. And, and they are so vocal now that they have no problem putting it out for something. Right. And, and I've got a good example of it at the DCNL game. And at half time, we were, prior to the game, we were working on the different systems of play. Um, in our attacking right. it was working very well for the first 10 minutes we're up to nothing and by half time it was 2-2 two -two. Yeah. so we have our half time tool and they said do you guys want to stick with this I wonder you what you'd be back to we used to yeah. and one kid says I think we should stick to it because we got two goals right <laughs> so did the other team yeah. yeah so she said well can we go back to what we know and if it's not working, evolve. And she used the word evolve. And I said, absolutely, we can go back into what we know and then move into this if we have to. Wow. These, these girls are what? 2008, 2009? <laughs> this is a 2009. And then, you know, you're, you're showing these kids in this competitive environment that you trust them. Yeah. And, you know, I already knew what I was going to do. Right. And we're giving them the voice. Um, and then the choice was, you know, let's do what we used to yeah. It was 2-2 two, two at half-time, we won the 6-2. Wow. And after the game, I asked them to reflect on that half-time moment. How influential was that in not going out and winning the game? And it was just great listening to the kids talk about themselves, not to me, right. about what they did for each other. And after the game, the kid will ask at half time, can you know, stay with us? Yeah. She said, I guess that's why you're the coach. <laughs> and I said, why? And she said, because you listen to us. Yeah. Not because of the formation, but right. I thought she was because you listen to us. Listen to us. And I said, wow. That's, that's, that's powerful. That's powerful. Wow. For a 13 year old to say that? that? I mean, that's. Did you, like, driving home from that? Did you just kind of sit in the car and be like, "That, that was awesome"? Yeah, I mean, was that is that like probably one of one of the cooler moments of your, your coaching career? Just to, every every moment I'm, I get to do this is the best moment. Yeah, and I think that's something that too many coaches take for granted. They're going to go in and be in a bad mood, right? You know, don't do what you're doing because this should be fun. For right, right. Uh, I would say that car ride home because it wasn't a ride home. Boston back to yeah, Farmington. <laughs> But that was me really reflecting on the processes and what I've been using and how effective they are. Yeah. Because this is a player that when I first started on the team wasn't as receptive as most. Right. Uh, I think she was kind of taught with her own. Mm -hmm. She also has a father with coaches. Right. Which has been known to coaches and always be a challenge. But she's really elevated her game to a point where she's been called into a youth US youth national ID event. Yeah. She's challenging her teammates to be better. She is now in open dialogue with me. She's asking me questions. Uh, and I see that as a major success because this is a this is a child that interacts with me. Right. You know, that engagement. That's amazing. Yeah. 
What is there anything else that you that you encourage your players to do in terms of individual development? Like aside from in developing these skills as well, but I mean, like away from the field, what what are some of the things that you encourage your players to do on their own? Whether it be you know obviously more touches on the ball, but is there anything else off the field that, that you kind of encourage? I kind of stay away from your kids. Yeah, you're already with us three times a week in training. Yeah, you're already with us twice. So I see you five times a week sometimes. Go away from here and be a child. Yeah. Enjoy being a 13, 14 year old. Right. Climb a tree if you have to. Um, be with your friends. Don't fall off the tree. Yeah. Climb it, yeah. But again, you know, climbing is cognitive in nature, isn't it? Right, right, right. 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 Figuring out technically yeah. and tactically what yeah. works. But I, I think for the kids, it's, it's so important for them that recovery time is the best time. Right. And, and just having that downtime to be who they are. Sure. It's, that's, that's it's not yeah. my job to get any of that. I do give them homework every now and then. Sure. Sure. Homework is not technically in nature. Right. Um, you know, it's more about reflection. But I truly believe that the best coaches are the ones that don't get in the way of the players when the players are not. Don't get in the support whatever it is right. that they're doing. You know, do I like the fact that I've got half the kids playing basketball and then they're showing up and spraying ankles. No, I don't like that. Right. But I will always support every decision a child makes because it's their decision. Right. And if I don't support it, then they're not going to trust me. Right. That, that's funny. I was, that was going to be my next question is, speaking of being a kid, like, will your take on playing other sports for me now because there's a goalkeeper I think it's a little different because I think other sports probably relate to goalkeeping a little more but what's your take on letting the kids play other sports and I mean for me I I, I, got uh, I think it's necessary I think it's it's good to just see different environments different coaches as well and, I mean the, the players are being exposed to different players yeah. being exposed to different coaches, different methodologies different environments more importantly they're being exposed to different actions Right. So the actions that they're performing could benefit them in some I'm a multi-sport athlete. For me to turn around to and say, you can't be a multi-sport athlete. Right. It's a little condescending. Sure. Um, so again, it's about building that trust. What I've done when I first took over in 2019, we had a bunch of kids that were still playing. I was secretly trying to get them out of the So whatever he said, it looks like it's obvious what's happening to now. And what I did was I spoke to him and said, I have a problem with doing this. I need you to prioritize. I need to know what the schedule is so I can manage the workloads. Right. I want you to do this. Yeah. If I don't know what the workload is, and your child's coming to me to be on my watch, I'm the one that feels guilty. I don't want to have to figure that out. So if I know what the workload is, Yeah, because you don't know if they ran 14 suicides at basketball practice. Yeah, and that's the one thing that we don't really focus on. We don't focus on the fitness component as a so specific stand when right. our fitness is done by game action. So we right. do all about fitness within the training sessions where they're getting more touches on the ball as opposed to the isolated run. Right. You know, if you're going to be sprinting, there's going to be a reason for the sprinting. Right. And that action isn't going to be a hundred yard sprint because you're never doing a hundred yard sprint. Right. Right. You are going to be doing twenty yard sprints. Right. So if you're a defender, your, your, your sprint's going to be slightly different. Right. To your midfielders, to your forwards. Uh, and that was something I picked up from Arsene Wenger many years ago, where his fitness tests were different for the lines of right. the team. How, how much do you, you use the like load management, so to speak, at the youth level? Like, how, how much are you 
other than asking, do you guys do anything data-wise and you know tracking your training and tracking the fitness you're doing in training or practice? Like, are you very meticulous about that? We don't use anything specific, so we have no software that we use, but we do rely on the old-fashioned technology of eyes. Of eyes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Feeling the pulse. Right. Uh, you know, what I do is I have an Apple Watch. Yeah. And I've got every kid to their maximum heart rate, seeing what their maximum heart rate is, which is like putting my watch on them. Right. And then when I feel that they're in a certain point in training session, I'll put them on to put my watch on them. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very simple method to use. Sure. Without going into too much detail, because as a club, if you want to bring that platform in like that, right. it then goes back to originally when I said about full time part time. There's only going to be three of us that are really going to be able to right. track right. that data. And, and then to make it right, I would be tracking data from, from other countries. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And then trying to relay really that to them so they wouldn't have that first hand knowledge or right. experience of what it means. So we've, we've stayed away from that for now. I do use old fashioned methods, which yeah. is, like I said, the Apple Watch is a very simple one. Right. Um, you know, I picked up a little bit of that from Angie behind Old Dominion University. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a that's a very clever way though to to track. I think to the resting heart rate too after. Like if you're you can try to track them after a session just to see how long it takes the resting heart rate to get back down to normal. We, I, we've done that. Yeah. With the Apple Watch. Yeah. Um, and what we do is we do it three or four players you know, at a time just to see where they're at, how long it takes them to get back there. Obviously, because now we're allowed to manage the department. Yeah. You know, what are my expectations of this player for 40 minutes? Right. You know, and I'm very particular about that going from a 35 and a half to a 40 minute half. Right. You know, yeah, it's only five minutes, but it's ten minutes overall. Right. Are, are they going to start to falter at some So we're always looking to see. Um, what minute of the game or what minute of the training session their high intensity starts to decrease. So we do a lot of small sided stuff to start with. Right. Just you know, even directional rondos. Sure. Something that gets lots of touches on the ball, but it's very game like. Um, gets the heart rate up and then we start to, start to see the high level of intensity. Yeah. At what point we track that you know, minute three. Right. So right. So players start yeah. to dip. So now the goal is to try to get that player to minute four. Right. Before they start to dip. Because then they would know they can handle it. It's a clever way, but I think that's, you know, that's really without getting the kids to almost be like professionals, like that's just, just, you know, just so they're not like thinking about wearing a catapult or some type of device, you know, it's like, because they don't, you know, they don't, I don't think they need to do that, right, but it's the heart rates, that's awesome, that's but, you awesome. Know, the kids love the technology, I'm sure they have the level, but at the end of the day, they are just kids. Right. And the last thing I want to do is take kids and treat them like collegiate athletes or professionals. Right. Because just let you then take the fun out of them. Yeah, exactly. And this game should be fun for them. Right. And, and I think they have to have the ability to take the direction of the ownership. Right. And have the ownership of that. For sure. For sure. So, last question, Steve. I'd like to end with this. Before you leave Ali, if you leave FSA, Connecticut, whatever, whatever it might be, next thing you do, what's the legacy you want to leave as you step away from your, your role on to a new one? I think the legacy is that people still understand it. Yeah. You're working with your you provide them with a coach and yeah. allow them to make a decision. 
support those decisions, facilitate the children without them to have right. Uh, and really just look at it and be thankful for what it is. Every day parents are entrusting children are right. valuables to us. Sure. I don't think too many coaches understand that. I think we need to take pride in it. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. Wealth of knowledge right there. And thank, thank you so much. Appreciate it.